Well, we complete a journey today that has taken us since the first of the year, nearly seven months uh, on. I hope it has not been a long, arduous trip. I hope that it has been one of those trips that when you get off the bus at the end of the day, you'll say, boy, that was a time flew. That, that was a good trip. That was a good journey that we went on. As we journeyed through a, a letter by the Apostle Paul, who was born into this very strict religious Jewish background, very loyal to his faith, very devoted, has this encounter with God on the, on the, with Jesus on the Damascus Road and continues his faith journey to become a Christ follower and is zealous and as devoted and as committed as he was as a, as, as a Pharisee, he became just that committed as a follower of Christ. He was all in at whatever he did. And as he's writing and writing these letters, most of the New Testament is written by the hand of, of the Apostle Paul. And as he's writing these letters and getting these letters out to these very infant churches, very young churches, he's telling them that, hey, this side of the fence, this side is so good. Thus, we called the series The Good Life. Not just to kind of coin some cute phrase to take it off of a t-shirt and to be able to give us the license to wear t-shirts, I guess, around here. But actually with the intent that we would see that the faith life with Christ is a good, fulfilling, complete life. Not some artificial sweetener, not something that's some plastic and synthetic, but it's good, it's filling, it's complete. And if you just kind of journey with me real quickly in one statement, if you think about chapter 1 of Ephesians, we learn there how God of all gods, universe, the God of the universe chose you and me. He adopted you and me. He gave you and I an inheritance into His kingdom forever. He adopted us through Christ in what He did on the cross. We were redeemed and purchased from back from our sins. Chapter 2, we learned about how We live in a world of death. Now, we think that we move from life to death in this world, and that's how we kind of picture in our mind moving from life. You're born, and then on the other end of your tombstone is your death date. And what happens in the middle is what life is, okay, between those two dates. But really, in reality, Jesus, in His his paradigm, He switches those around. We move from death to life. In Ephesians chapter 2, we learned how we were all dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, loved us. That's a beautiful statement. You don't memorize any verse in Scripture. Memorize chapter 2 when it talks about how God, who is rich in mercy, He saved us, but He didn't just save us. He made us. He's creating in us as new workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, verse 10 of chapter 2, for good works. So the good life that we talk about is a part of a new life that we're living. And this new life that we're living is a life that He is shaping and making in us and out of us. And He's drawing it out of us. Again, created in Christ Jesus for good works. A part of the good life is good works that come out of our life. Then you skip over into chapter chapter 3 and he talks about a mystery he uses the word mystery so many times in the book of ephesians mystery the mystery the mystery i've been given the mystery the mystery for so many years people didn't know what the mystery was it was hidden he even said it was hidden for generations but god has given me this mystery and he's given it to me 
for you. I love that phrase, giving it to me for you. And as he's talking about giving it to me for you, I think about what has been given to us for them. And we have a calling as a church that as we experience and walk and live in the good life that Jesus gives us, we have a responsibility to take the good life that is ours and to pass it on to those who don't have it. Just as Paul was entrusted with the gospel, he says it was given to me for you, so it was given to you for them. And who are we going to go to? Then we learned in verse in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 and in chapter 6 even, he talks about the walk that we should walk, the different lifestyle that we should live, and how the good life is taking off those old rags and putting on new duds, putting on a new lifestyle, new actions, new attitude. This is some of the phrases that he used in the early part of chapter 4. He says that we may walk in a new way, and listen to these words, that would bring out humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity. Now, do tell me, do tell me, anybody not want a marriage, a home life that has more patience, more humility, more gentleness, more love, and more unity? Anybody not want a job that has more of that? Anybody want relationships that want more of that? That's a part of the good life. When we walk in it, And so Paul, for several chapters, just talks about the walk of the good life, the walk of the new life that we're called to walk in. And in chapter 5 and chapter 6, he talks about the family. Now, the family wasn't man's creation. It was God's creation. And how he, he put a husband and a wife together and he told them, hey, men, love your wives. And hey, women, respect your husband. And the value add that that brings to the marriage, building each other up where they need it. Again, who's giving this insight to us? It's Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit in a relationship with Christ. And when we live like that, our marriages are sweeter. The good life even affects our marriage. It affects our parenting. We talked about steering your children, not stirring your children, if you remember that back on Mother's Day weekend. The idea that we need to be actually parenting our children with grace and love and also guidance and direction. We talked about those things. That's a part of the good life that we receive in Christ. Really, when it comes down to it, if you look at chapter 1, verse 3, it says it like this. Who has blessed us in Christ. Where's this blessing come from? In Christ. With every spiritual blessing. I love this next phrase. In the heavenly places. The good life is the blessed life. The blessed life is found in Christ. And the blessed life, what does it contain? What's made up in that box? And again, we unpacked that for the past seven months. But what's made up in that is every blessing that heaven has is available to us. It's like God opens up the treasure chest. He says, listen, here's a treasure chest of all that is available in heaven. And when you are in Christ and Christ is in you, all of that is available to you. Totally accessible. Totally available. So take your Bibles and now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to wrap up our study kind of jumping into the middle of chapter 6. If you were here last week, we... Or, uh, we, we kind of already had, had done a, the end of chapter 6. But we're going to come to the, the middle of chapter 6. But I want us to understand something. That this good life, this, this blessed life that we just read about, does not come free and clear 
and with all ease and comforts. There will be mountaintop days, but there will be many days that you will spend in the marshes. And the only thing that will get you through that day in sanity and in blessing will be because you know about the good life and because you are living the good life. And the the reality is, is that there's a war going on. The battle is for you and that just because you have a good day on Sunday doesn't mean Monday's going to be great. And just because you have a great day on Monday doesn't mean Tuesday's going to be great. The mountaintops will come and they will go and the marshes will be sometimes the reality more common than the mountaintops. We need to realize the life principle as we go into this message today that yesterday's successes do not guarantee tomorrow's victories. And just because you have a good Sunday, and just because you're praying today, and just because you're singing, raising your hand, because you say, I'm going to do this for Christ today, doesn't mean Monday it's going to all work out. In fact, you will find that as you make commitments to Christ, the greater the commitment you make, the greater the tension will be pulled against you. The greater sacrifice you make, the greater angst, the greater arrows, the greater assault you will receive from the dark side called Satan. This is a daily battle that we got to recognize here. A daily battle. That's why Jesus said in Luke 9.23, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. This is daily in battle. But the reality is, is that Jesus knew that and 25% of his parables that he spoke, of his actions and his miracles, had something to do with demonic forces. So now think about that. If Jesus' actions, his miracles, his words, 25% of them dealt with the demonic, dealt with the dark side, dealt with the satanic, dealt with evil, dealt with darkness. If 25% of that, let's just say, for example, if that were the the true, that 25% of our life would be battling the temptations, Just divide your day. That means six hours of your day. You're going to spend about six hours of every day, if that were to be true, if that was a ratio that the Bible were, but you will spend about six hours of your day dealing with temptation, dealing with lustful thoughts, dealing with envy, dealing with words that you wish you hadn't have said, but you said, and so now what are you going to do to cover them up? You're going to deal with actions and attitudes and behaviors and thoughts and past mistakes and future You're going to deal with it. It's going to be real. It's going to be present. And it's going to be going on in your life. And I'll say this. The only way that you will have success on Monday that you're hoping will be a continuation to Tuesday and just prayerfully it will be a continuation to Wednesday will be how well you're prepared each and every day. Your preparedness, your readiness for what's ahead. You know, every morning when the President of the United States wakes up, one of the very first things he does, and this is not just true of Obama, this is true of Bush, this has been true of Clinton, this has been true of presidents for years, is they have a national security briefing. They give you the instructions, they, they give them the, the, the layout, they give them the forecast, they give them all of what's going on around the world and what's happening at our borders. That is what's reality that you and I don't necessarily see every day, but a president does. And what we need to realize is that we are living in war. And that every day and throughout our day, we need to be 
totally prepared. So let's do this. Let's have a national security briefing for a moment, okay? A national security. Let's talk about the enemy. Let's talk about how we need to understand our enemy and where he's working and what he has power on, what he doesn't have power on. So here, here it is. You need to realize that you have an enemy. He is after you. He's after your blood, but more than that, he's after your soul. He wants all of you. He wants every bit of you. His name is Satan, and the great thing is, I'm going to give you the good news before I give you the bad news. The good news is that he is defeated. He has been defeated. That we, this is, if you don't get anything out of this, you need to walk out of here with this statement in your mind. That we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. That we can live and we should live and we, there's the, the capabilities of living in victory throughout our life. It's not like maybe I'll make it today or maybe I won't make it today. We can truly live. Satan is defeated. Scripture affirms this. He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them in open shame by triumphing over them in Him. See, Jesus is the one who triumphed over Satan when He conquered death, hell, and the grave. But also that we are more powerful than the enemy. I think, oh, I'm not more powerful than Satan. If you're a follower of Christ, you have in your arsenal, you have inside your spirit the power to overcome his power. In John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now again, I want to say it. Are you fighting for victory, hoping one of these days, turning over new leaves constantly, trying to get things fixed, trying to square away all the broken pieces and all that kind of stuff? Or are you saying, okay, God, I surrender. I can't fix all my mess, and I'm coming to you, Jesus, but God who is rich in mercy. I'm coming to you, Jesus, and I'm, I'm claiming your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness, and I'm going to live in victory from this point forward. And I want your spirit in me giving me the victory that I can live throughout my day. But here's another thing is that the defenses of hell won't stop God's people from living out God's mission. I don't care how much Satan wants to silence us. I don't care how much he doesn't want us doing what God wants us doing. He can't stop us. That's the good news. It says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. I told you this before. For the longest time, I thought that meant the gates of hell were coming crashing down on us. And that we had this kind of protective barrier out there, but the barrier is going to keep Satan out. The reality is, is that that is not a defensive statement that Jesus was making. It was an offensive statement. And Satan is trying to put up barriers into broken lives and barriers into people's hearts and barriers. He even blinds them. And But here's the truth, that when we live from victory, not living to victory, when we live from victory, then we can literally push back the darkness if we choose to if we make the right preparations if we get up every morning with the intentionality that we are going to live in victory and we're going to help other people live in victory as well let me give you the bad news the bad news is you still got to fight the bad news is it's not a walk in the park the bad news is it's salvation is handed to us, but we have really still got to face the music, but the battle is raging. 
And God has put us on this earth and has left us on this earth for as long as He sees fit to carry out and to fulfill the mission of Christ and to push back the darkness, to push back the gates of hell and to be victorious in Him and through Him and to fight uh, from victory and not just to victory. And I want to talk about today how I can live my day-to-day life in a victorious manner. Because again, what Paul's been talking about is the good life. But the good life, sad to say, ends the chapter with war. I wish it ended with dancing in daisy fields, okay? Or eating food calorie-free or something like that. But it doesn't. It ends at a war. It ends at a battlefront. And so what we have to understand is what's the battlefront look like? And how am I, or am I even ready to fight from victory? Or am I still fighting for victory? Number one is look at your spiritual fitness. There are three conditions that you need to check yourself out right now from head to toe, inside and out, soul, body, spirit. Are you spiritually fit? Are you being negligent or vigilant in your spiritual journey? Negligent, whatever comes, comes. I'll just show up at church on Sunday, drop a few bucks in the plate, go on about my business as if it really doesn't matter and I'm just ready for heaven whenever I die, as if God is some kind of fire insurance policy. Or are you being vigilant? Vigilant to push back the darkness, vigilant to to conquer the evil. Look at, look at, look at, I'm not making this up. Look at verse 10 and and. and Now, let's look at verse 10 where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord. Okay, notice the words there. Strong, strength, might. There is something here. Are you spiritually fit and ready for that? Then he goes on in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Underscore the word stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers from, uh, from this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He's told us to put it on back there in verse 11. Now he's telling us to take it all up. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand and in the evil day, having done all, to stand firm. And then the very first word in verse 14 is to stand. The only way we are going to make it in this world is to be able to stand against Satan's attacks. Day in, day out, throughout the day, all night long, they are coming, they are there. When you're traveling, when you're home, when you're with your family, when you're alone, when you're with your friends, wherever you are, when you're doing business, they are constant. The question is, am I spiritually fit? Am I spiritually fit? Am I being strengthened by the strength of Almighty God? To be able to stand, to withstand, to stand firm, to stand there for. I mean, there's a whole lot of standing going on in there, right? I, for, for a number of years, I, and I've struggled with my, my, my title as a pastor. Uh, and I, you've heard me say this before, but it's a very agrarian term in a non-agrarian culture, all right? 
We're, we're not farms and cattles here in northwest Arkansas. And there's a lot of urban, you know, we're becoming an urban nation. And, and so it's really hard if you really break down the word pastor and you, you, we're not tending sheep. I've never lived on a farm. Okay, the only thing I did on the farm one day is I worked one day belling hay, and then I got smart and found another job, all right? So, you know, that's as close as I've ever got to the farm. In an agrarian culture, it makes sense to think about pasturing, leading, shepherding, gathering sheep, and taking them one place from one field to another, protecting them, and so forth. I like the term, and God didn't ask me, so we're going to stick with pastor right now, but I like the, the phraseology of more like a spiritual life coach. What does a coach do? A coach hopefully looks out for his team, much like a pastor would do. Hopefully the coach is, is one of those who will step in your life and with love around, puts his arm around you, but he looks into your life and he says, you know what, you could, you're here, but you could be here. And he, and he said, but I want to be there, and I'm not there. I'm down here. I said, well, let's talk about how you can get from here to there. All right, and that's what I hopefully I can help do in people's lives, and the entire pastoral team can hopefully do help you get from A to B to C to D, and whatever that means for you. I hope that's what we can be. The thing is, is that when you're a coach, though, you have to sometimes have people do what they don't want to do so they can become what they want to become. You understand? Sometimes it's it, you have to really get into their life, and you have to speak truth, truth that hurts. You have to hold them accountable. And sometimes there's pushback. Sometimes I don't like that. I don't like the judgmental. And that's not judgmental. I'm your coach. I'm helping you get from A to B and B to C. I'm helping you grow. I'm helping you become what you want to become, but you're maybe too weak to become. And so the first thing I want to say on this first day of, uh, uh, of uh, a basic training, if you will, is that we're going to have to grow our strength up. And we're going to have to become strong. Not just strong in our own strength, not just strong in our own mind, not just strong in our own intellect. We're going to have to become strong in the Lord's strength. So that when we are attacked, so that when we are assaulted, so that when, we, when it comes against us, we will be able to stand. We'll be able to withstand. Here's a, here's a couple of statements that if, if you're looking for a scouting report out there to, to want to know what's going on uh, with, with Satan, here's, here's a couple of things. Satan is a calculated in all his ways all right he's very calculated in all of his ways he, he's he's not just randomly firing off arrows at you and i listen to this next day he knows your button he knows your button and your button and your button he knows your own proclivities he knows your own weak areas and he will come in at any time and all the time, and he will push you right there. He is very, very systematic and very, uh, very smart at what he does. He has schemes about him, and that's where we get our word methodology from. He has schemes about him. Verse 11, again, it says, For we are able to stand against the schemes, the methods of the devil. And you know, Satan is really not very creative. And... He's not. He doesn't have to be. I imagine if he had to be, he could be, but he doesn't have to be because we're pretty easy creatures. Pretty much since the beginning of time, mankind has had a problem with silver, sex, self, and slothfulness. And you can pretty much tailor make whatever temptation you want into those categories and just contextualize it, dress it up however you want. 
And the interesting thing is, is that whenever you look at history and you go back to Achan of Ai, go back and read Joshua when you get some time. And Achan and Ai, he struggled with the same sin that got Bernie Madoff in New York City. It was the, the drive for more. It was the material want and want and want and want that gets so many Americans. But I just used the big name Bernie Madoff. All right? It, but it was the same, same temptation that got Achan at Ai. Whenever you think about King David and what got King David was sex. The same thing that got President Clinton. You know what? And say, I'm not picking on the big name people. I'm just picking on names that we all know because I think we all know people in our own worlds that have been caught up in the, the lust and the desire for more and more silver and more and more sex. That stimulation or whatever it may be out there. James and John. When I think about James and John, I think about them wanting to be the top disciples and cornering Jesus in Mark chapter 10 and saying, hey, we want to be number one and number two when we get to heaven. When your kingdom is a state, he didn't say heaven. When, we, when your kingdom is that, we want to be number one and we want to be number two. They want to be tops. It was all about themselves. And Jesus said, get your eyes off of that and become the least of these. Become a servant is really where he directed them the thing is, is on Monday morning, many of you all will wake up with the same temptation that James and John faced because you want to be tops. And there's nothing wrong with climbing corporate ladders. But when corporate ladders become your idolatry, become your God, you have fallen into the schemes of the devil. Beware of it. When I think of slothfulness, I think of the church of Laodicea and and how so many churches in America, 80% of the Christians in America are part of 80% of the churches in America. And of those churches, if you think about them, 80% of them are dead and dying. What happened at Laodicea? They were lukewarm. They were neither hot nor they were cold. They were just there. And the, the, the thing is, is you can go in just about any church in any town and just about most of the churches across our land and you'll find the shadowy unfogginess of everything that goes on in there and they just keep doing the same thing week after week. I don't want to be a church that identifies itself with Laodicea. I don't want to be a Laodicean Christian as far as that matters. Slothfulness is one of those things that Satan has been putting in front of people to be lazy and apathetic about their faith, about the kingdom of God, and I don't want to go there. But he's got schemes about him. But also Satan, he has an army of elite forces. We need to be aware of this. This is what we're trying to stand against. We're trying, we're withstanding. This is why we need strength, because there's an army of elite forces out there ready to get us. And he tells it to us in verse 12. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, some people have said, have come into this passage and said these are literally hierarchies in Satan's army. That there are rulers, and then we're standing against authorities, and we're standing against cosmic powers, and that each one of these is a different level of, of attack from Satan, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Like, Mike, that doesn't make sense to me. Break them down, tell me more about it. I wish I knew more. I can just tell you this, that Satan is attacking us from so many ways he can possibly tear us down. And you know what? He doesn't have to get us in five ways. Listen to this. He just has to get us in one way. And if he gets us in one way, he's got us. It's a very dangerous place to be. 
It's a very hurtful place to be. It's a very detrimental place to be. Let's, let's look at our spiritual fitness. Are we ready? You ready to go out into the big, bad, evil world tomorrow and stand and withstand and stand there for? Are we? I hope you are. The only way will be because you are strong in the Lord and by the strength of His might. Let's talk about spiritual readiness. All right, spiritual fitness is one thing. Are you able? Do you have the verses? Do you have the prayer life? Do you have the accountability around you? Do you have the support under you? Are you growing up? Are you weakening down, cowering down? So spiritual readiness, are you ready to go into this world? One man said it like this. He says, is the image of God reflected in you that so enrages hell? Do you hear that? Post that up on the screen, guys. It is the image of God reflected in you that so enrages hell. It is this that at which demons hurl their mightiest weapons. You know what? When The more and more you determine in your heart you're going to look more and more like Christ, I will tell you this. The more and more and more and more and more you will find assaults, you will find days of discouragement, you'll find days of, of difficulty, you think, Mike, why would I want to cho- go the Jesus road? Because it's the road to the good life. I didn't say it's through fields of daisies. It is through the battlefield of life. And as we do that and we're fit and we're strong in the strength of the Lord, we can press forward. We can go through. We can taste victory. But what he tells us to do, if you're going to be ready for tomorrow morning, you're going to have to get up in the morning and you're going to have to go to bed tonight because I don't think Satan rests nor his demonic forces. And we're going to have to be ready for the next day. So what does readiness look like? And I, I don't have time to develop these any further than just to list them out for you. But he gives us six components for a daily readiness. You might call them your six checklist before you leave the house. You might put them somewhere in your house, put them somewhere on your computer desk. You might, I don't know, but somehow commit these to memory and daily check yourself. Here they are real quickly as you, as you look through verse 14 and following. Just keep your Bibles and your notes and pad in there. He says, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. So the very first thing we need is truth in our life. Truth must be put on. Truth must be, you know, the number one, I heard this just, just this past week, the number one valued or honored value of our culture today is tolerance. Now, I'm, I'm all for acceptance, but tolerance? Tolerance typically says that there is no truth, that we just need to accept everybody as they are. And, you know, I, and I wish that was true, but every time I throw a ball up, that ball comes down. There is truth in gravity, all right? And there's so many other laws of nature out there. Well, there's a God who created all those laws. And if Jesus said there is only one way, that means there's only one way. It's not me saying it, it's Jesus saying it. All right? When Jesus said in John 16, 13, the spirit of truth comes, there is a spirit of truth. He will guide you into all the truth. That means there is truth and there is not truth. All right? The spirit of truth. Truth will guide you into the truth. So I need to figure out where truth is and attach myself to it. All right? And then he also says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, for a long time, I thought truth 
was a philosophy, was an idea, was a concept. But I want you to get this down. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I will understand the concepts of truth when I identify with the person who is truth. And it's going to be really hard in this world of tolerance, in this world of ambiguity, in this world of pluralism. It's going to be really hard for you to, and you've got to do it with grace, to really show forth truth because the world will push back against you. All right, number two is you need to put on righteousness. Daily, doing the right thing, thinking the right thing, believing the right thing, life, doing, believing, thinking, doing, that's it. It's what is right. Don't compromise your character. Don't, don't put that on the line. Righteousness. He tells us there, again, back in the passage, he says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, what does it do? It covers the heart. What is the heart? The heart is not that cardiovascular system that he's speaking of. When he talks about in Proverbs, Solomon does about watching over your heart. He's talking more of the soul of who you are. If we don't protect the soul of who we are, our character, our essence, our being, then it is vulnerable for Satan to send his fiery attacks at. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because it's amazing. You can take an entire lifetime to build your reputation, and you can do one stupid thing and destroy it. An entire lifetime to build your character and one stupid thing to destroy it. Don't leave home without righteousness. Number three is put on the gospel of peace. Augustine said the purpose of war is peace. We are in a war, but we're in a war going towards peace. He said this, he said in verse 15, In the shoes of your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We carry, the, the shoes that we, that we put on our feet speak of something, that I'm going somewhere. In, in many homes throughout the world, still today in Korea, if you're going to Korea, you do not wear your shoes in the house. It was the same thing in the first century of Israel. You come in into somebody's house, muddy streets, dusty streets, you kick off your shoes. So when you go out and you put shoes on, you're going somewhere. Well, God has given us some place to go. And you know where it is? The ends of the earth. What are we to go when we go? What are we to do when we get there? To take the gospel of peace. And Satan would want nothing more for you to do than to keep your shoes off and to stay back. To stay home where it's nice and safe and cool and climate controlled when He's called us to go and to carry the gospel of peace. Number four is to put on faith. To put on faith, He tells us, and He dedicates an entire verse to this. He says, uh, it says in verse 16, And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So you got the breastplate of righteousness on, but in front of you, you got the shield of faith that's advancing and just moving you forward. The problem is, if you don't have the shield of faith, then you are totally in defense mode. You put up the shield of faith, and you can move forward. The problem is, is that so few of us live in faith, and we live in fact most of the time. What are you doing right now in your life? What, what is God calling you to do right now? To give, to do, to serve, to be, whatever it is. What is He calling our church to do that requires literal faith. And faith would be that if, if Christ doesn't show up, we fail. 
Think about it. Verse 16, it's translated in the Good News translation. It says this, that you will be able to put out all the burning arrows shot by the evil one. With fear, you empower Satan. With faith, you make Satan impotent. Number five, put on salvation. Put on salvation. Make no bones about it. The first reality that we need to understand is, do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? He tells us there, he said in verse 17, and take up the helmet of salvation. All right, do you have a relationship with Jesus? He wants a personal relationship, not an institutional relationship. It's not as important that you join this church or any other church. All right? It's most important that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Two realities that I learned from a Bible study called Experiencing God is that God is always at work around us. He's always at work around you. He's always at work around me. And that God pursues a love relationship with you. He's after you. I am, for some of you may not realize this, but you're not here by accident. You say, I chose this place. I came to this place. No, no, no. I actually believe behind your movement was a mover. And that God brought you here. Now, whether you stay or whether you go or whether you walk, or I believe God has been moving in your life. And I hope you have the helmet of salvation. Number six. Six components to live on, live with every day, put on every day, take up the Bible. All right? This is the only thing you don't wear. You literally, you keep your hands free of everything else. You've got a shield in this, and then you've got a sword in the other hand. You are moving forward with the sword in your hand. Verse 12 says it like this. Or excuse me. Uh, um, find it myself. This, verse, verse 17, there it is. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Thomas Guthrie said it like this. The Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible machines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. And in it, it is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, a bomb for every wound. Rob us of the Bible and our sky has lost its sun. This book needs to be a daily part of your life. If you're going to know where to go and how to get there, it's got to be there. I want to give you one more thing. Spiritual fitness, yes. Are you there? Are you able to withstand? Are you able to stand up? Are you spiritually ready to go to work tomorrow? For some of you, the battle's not even at work. The battle's at home. For some of you, the battle's not at home. It's not at work. It's in yourself. Are you ready to withstand? Are you fit? Is there a readiness about you? Do you have the necessary equipment around you, if you will, the components around you to live victoriously? And lastly, is there spiritual communication? Spiritual communication, is it there? My youngest brother was recently retired from uh, as a major in the Army. And uh, he, prior to being, uh, he went in as an enlisted man in the, the Marine Corps right out of high school and went into reconnaissance. He was in the first desert storm, and he was in recon. He came back from that, got out of the military, uh, went to college, got out of college, went right back in into the Army. So he's had a, a years, a career in the military. 
And when he went back into the army, he went back in as a signal corps. I thought that's a lot less romantic, Sam, than reconnaissance, Rambo. He says, you know what, you can't live without. You can't live without the signal corps. I said, well, what do you do exactly? He says, well, we're the first ones in. I said, well, okay, keep going. He said, because what happens is as the troops go in, we're coming right behind them, and we're laying down lines, and we're setting up satellites, and we're setting up points of contact and information so that we can flow the information in because these troops are going in pioneering the way. And what happens is if you don't have the communication line set up, then you can totally be cut off and destroyed. I told you last week, and I challenged you, for a seven-day commitment to prayer. And I want to call you again to prayer because when you come to the end of this passage, in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to keep alert in all perseverance. What perseverance? The war that we're in. Making supplications for all the saints. And also for me that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He has said mystery so many times. There's so much going on around us. There is a war going on before us. And I wonder sometimes how ready are we for it. Within the first 48 hours of the President Obama's election, and in fact, his election before his inauguration, he got his first security global briefing. Why would that be more important than his party of inauguration? Why not let him get through that? Why not let him recover from the election? 40, 40, 40, why so soon? Because more important than a party is the war that's going on. And more important than any party you may play in your life or any job that you may do is the battle for your soul. And I want to pray now, and I want the band to come back up, and I want you to respond in one or two ways, but I want to pray first, and I'll explain. Father God, we thank you for these moments and the challenge of battle. We don't like war, Lord. We wish that we didn't have the war. We wish we didn't have to fight. We wish none of that was around or a part of it, but it is. It is a part of where we are. And whether or not we have victory tomorrow will a lot be determined by our readiness today. And Father, in this room there are people who are right now being chewed up and spit out in the war of their own soul. They're not living victoriously. And they know it. And I just pray that, Lord, right now that, that you would help everyone in this room to realize the battle for their own soul. The battle for their own life and loyalty that happens every moment of every day. And they would ask themselves, am I fit, Lord? Am I ready to withstand? Or am I caving in day after day, moment after moment, temptation after temptation? Lord, is there a readiness about me? But I've got the components I need for victory. Is the line of communication there, Lord? Where I can pray with all perseverance and strength will come. And reinforcements will be there. Supplies will be there. Lord, am, am I connecting with you on a spiritual level? 
just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I know in this room there's some of you today that are living in victory. And that is just a beautiful, beautiful reality. And I'm so excited for you. And in a moment when the band starts to sing, what I want you to do is I want you to stand up. And if nobody else stands around you, you stand up and you sing over those who are sitting down. Because you are walking today in victory. Tomorrow may be different. But today you're walking in victory. Today, if you're in your own heart, you say, I am not walking in victory. And I need somebody to pray over me, sing over me. I need the angels of heaven to minister to me as they did to Jesus after his time of temptation. I need the this, this strength and the power of God to be upon me so that I can go out of here and stand. And I'm just going to sit here. And I just want to receive the prayers of the people and the ministering of God's Spirit. Wherever you are, if you're walking in victory, you stand and sing. If you're needing people to pray over you and sing over you right now, you just remain seated. You respond however and wherever you are.